It's really key to identify and recognize and reward people for innovation. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Awesomeings Podcast, where we highlight people pursuing their definition of, you guessed it, awesome. So buckle up and get ready for some more success story adventures and failures from Kentucky's tech and entrepreneur community. Hey guys, welcome back to, uh, this is part 1.5, I'd say. I don't know, It's a sep- we're, we're talking about innovation. This could be a separate episode, but we're still with our friend Tom. Liz and I both had to bring out our, our, our handkerchiefs, chiefs, whatever it is, and dab the tears out of our eyes. It was very touching. I'm being a bit facetious, but it actually was. So Liz is going to drive the ship here. Take over the world, Liz. You do your thing. As Garrett said, we are back with Tom Stern. If you haven't listened to episode number one, stop right now. Go back and listen to it. She's learning. Yeah, I, I love am. it. Um, you need to know who Tom is and his background to fully, I think, appreciate uh, some of these other questions we have for him. So I'm Liz. If you haven't listened to any of the episodes that I've been on, I represent our Venture Labs team, which is our corporate innovation team. And if you love me enough after this episode, you will want me in your inbox every two weeks. So you should sign up for our newsletter. Osmink.org forward slash Venture Labs. Our coworker Mike gives me chocolate every time I put in a plug for the newsletter. Seriously. That's a lie, but he should. And so, Mike, when you're listening to this, keep note. So, Tom, as I've told you, we do a lot. We have been working with startups for 11 years. Um, and we, in the last about two years, have started working more with companies much larger companies here in the area. And it's been, honestly, it's been a really a gift for us to kind of get to know, kind of step into a, a much larger world of business. Um, you have done both startups and the corporate world. You watch Cisco, it sounds like, become go from a startup to a corporate company. What was the culture of innovation like at Cisco? And maybe what, and whether specific to Cisco or just your experience, what was it like watching that change from this is a new idea, it's building, it's growing, to now we just have to figure out how to maintain something and, and keep it mm. alive. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I had a, a friend who said, um, we innovated a lot early on in the company because the problems were simpler. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, this, this box won't communicate to that box. That's a, that's a problem. Um, but it was a simple problem, but it, it was, it was an unsolved problem at the time for that person, but it was a simple problem. And, um, you know, over time, what happens is, uh, as a company grows, the, the problems become sophisticated and then they, they require more, uh, more clever solutions. What were some of your takeaways for, let's focus on the good. What were some of the good things that you guys did maybe to try to keep some of that spirit of innovation as the company grew? We like fo- focusing on best practices, not worst practices. Okay. So, um, um, one of the, th- the things is, uh, not, not, uh, accepting the status quo. So we had, you know, a solution, we had a, a workable plan. Um, and, uh, and one of those was we needed, uh, for example, uh, editors. So we were writing an API manual. So there's software coming out, people are going to be using that software, we're going to write an API manual. And, uh, and there were, there was an army of software engineers. So we needed a small army of editors to follow up and make sure that everything was standardized. And that ended up looking about like 500 people for this wow. project. And they were going to be occupied full time. And then, you know, that API guide every 
every quarter we would come out with another one. And so that was a tremendous expense of, uh, of money and time and resources. And, and, and I said, why don't we just put a template in the code, have the engineer fill out the template. We can have some, somebody that is able to edit in the text in the code, go and do that. And then uh, I'll write a program that will build the API from that. And so that turned into a patent and it turned mm -hmm. into a product that, that was used to generate documents. Now, the cost then went from 500 employees to uh, probably about two that were doing the editing. And the work was distributed now instead of it being these people had to come in and write about something that they weren't quite clear on and had to educate themselves on. The people that were already experts were writing the API exactly as they intended the, uh, the, their customers to use it. Hmm. And so it streamlined everything, raised the quality, lowered the cost. So the message there is don't fall asleep at the wheel. There's hmm. always uh, the, the potential for innovation and to change the way we do things. So if you look at something, you think, you know, you get the feeling like that's pretty good. That's okay. We got to do something about that one day. Then you know, imagine it doesn't exist for a moment and see if you can come up with a new uh, solution because it, it's, it's where we feel most comfortable. Like we know this is the way that it's done. That's the place where we're asleep at the wheel. And that's the hmm. place where we can innovate. We talk a lot about what the, the skill sets that are necessary to keep a company maintained are often the ones that cripple innovation. And you have to have both. You have to have the people that say, we're going to do it this way because it's been done that way and the faithful, consistent ones. And I think we talk about oftentimes in the entrepreneur world, we kind of, we let, we love to hate on those people. But I think what I hear from you is saying they can come together. You can say, okay, this is the solution. Maybe that's a great plan B. We've got a way to solve it to hire and we'll hire 500 people. So let's all take a deep breath and know that we can make that solution if needed. But then let's take a step back bring in, you know, some creative minds and say, but what if that wasn't the case at all? Right. To complete that cycle. And that is, what, what is it? Storm Forum. There's a, do you know that model um, of innovation? It's like Storm Forum reform. And then it storms again. Anyway. Oh, Storm, Storm. I know what you're saying now. Uh, storming, forming. Norming. Norming. I don't think that's the right sequence. It's not the right sequence. But I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, so um, keep talking. I'll Google it. Main part of that is um, when you innovate, you're not done until you can operate. Forming, storming, norming, performing model. There we go. There That's it. it. And, <laughs> and that, in stages of group development. Yeah. And uh, so I think when you have an innovation, you, you need to go through those stages and play through, swing through, make sure hmm. that the job is done. And the job's not done until it's adopted and maintainable. Hmm. Okay. Because it's one thing to, to come up with stuff and change things. But it's another thing to follow through on it and make sure that it becomes operable. I think you're right. That does bring it full circle because it's not enough just to come up with a new idea and then and then leave the system that you're talking about. It only required two people. It sounds like it was long term sustainable for many for many problems. So. Um, I so you have this incredible background in education and teaching people to kind of bring that into innovation. Are there things you've learned? I know I asked a similar question before, but about maybe human behavior or working at corporate companies. How do you teach people innovation? How do you help people think more creatively? 
there's a, a training technique that I call showing people the wall. And, you know, when you show people the door, it's like, this is the way, this is the way over here. When you show people the wall, it's where they run into the problem full tilt. It's like you have a scenario and you say, hey, come on, try this thing. And they do it and they fall. It's like it, it fails. And you're like, yep. Oops. What are we going to do now? You know, and it places <laughs> them in that state of hmm. emergency um, and, and innovation. And if we've done, done our job correctly in training, then again, they're in a safe space to say, okay, nobody, nobody is, is, there's not going to be a major consequence to this. If we come up with something, maybe it'll leap out off the board and become real outside of this class. Uh, but, but nobody's going to lose their uh, position or their house or whatever over this exercise. And so in that safe space, people can practice the skills of innovation, which they might be afraid to use outside. Rather than just telling them about the skills. Rather than just telling innovation. them about the skills. Yeah. I also, I feel like in that scenario, it gives them ownership right? To say, this is now your problem. I'm not just telling you about a problem and showing you a solution, but saying, okay, well, let's pretend this is your problem. What would you do about it? And I think that's so often the cycle that's easy to get into in, in bigger teams, bigger companies as well. Someone else will handle it, the accounting team or the HR team, or I don't know, someone will solve that problem rather than, well, now it's your problem. Right. What would you do about it? If you, this was your company, if you had that founder's mentality, what would you do? Yeah. Ownership of, of the problem. Um, and an, another thing is um, there's a, an idea of, of brainstorming as a separate process where people just come up with and throw out ideas. And sometimes it's the wackiest ideas that people are, you know, withholding, but if they are willing to share them and put them out, then that will trigger something else in, in somebody else's mind. And then they'll start to see options that weren't there before. I just played Rummy Cube. Have you ever played that game? Mm -hmm. Played it with my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law last night. I forgot how addicting that game is, but it, it is that addiction of how can I change up the whole board? But I think what I love about it is once the other players start putting their numbers down, then you can really start moving around the whole board. Yes. And I think we see that in some of our Venture Lab workshops. Once someone's got the guts to say a couple crazy ideas, mm -hmm. then it gets fun because everyone else says, well, shoot, if we're talking about the real crazy ones, then I've got a few of those. Another idea is um, taking a group of people and taking ideas that they've been comfortable with or they think they know and driving to a core concept. It's like one person has this perspective over here and one person has this perspective over here. And then, then we brainstorm, we come up with like lots of ideas and it's like, well, well, what are we really focused on? What's the purpose? What are we trying to solve here? How does this actually work? And putting that into a concrete sentence or two. And, and by doing that and having everyone agree on it, it aligns the group of people but it also brings forth the uh, essential structure of the information, the essential structure of the problem, so that everybody can see it clearly. Like, like we've talked about, you worked for startups, you've worked for companies. What are some of the cultural differences you see in them that you have your own, you still are running your own company now? Are there, are there pieces of both you've tried to bring together? I mean, what, when you started your own company, what lessons did you take? to launch that as far as more cultural dynamics of creativity, innovation, learning, teaching, et cetera? 
So um, I see it on a continuum. And as uh, one person said to me, when you're at a startup and you're the CEO of a startup, if the garbage needs to be taken out, you're it. You're the one that takes the garbage out, you know? And then you get into a huge corporation and it's like, don't touch the garbage cans. That's a responsibility of this organization over here, you know? And even like uh, training, um, I've, I've been on uh, uh, delivering training when like the lamp went out in a projector or something, you know, failed in the room. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, the solution is right here. Like pick this thing up, but you know, we're not permitted to pick it up. So um, it's one thing to understand, be frustrated about those rules. It's another thing to respect that other people have jobs and that by supporting that, recognizing where those limits are, you're actually enabling them to do their work which enables you to focus on your work. So that's the, that's the gamut, you know? And so personal responsibility doesn't end when you get into corporations, but it gets translated into a social context where you have to look out for others and, uh, and develop that type of uh, relationship. Never thought about it in that way, a respect for other people's jobs, but there is, if if you walk into a larger company and try to act like a startup founder, sometimes that's not a great thing. And I think that's a healthy reminder. If you just start doing on everyone else's job, then you're that kid on the volleyball team who's who's taking all the plays and you need someone to bump set and spike. Liz, is this a personal confession? We don't have a podcast long enough <laughs> for my for my volleyball PTSD. No, I loved I love volleyball. But Tom, is there anything that maybe wrapping up? We have a lot of um, corporate companies that tune into some of these that you would. Um, I mean, you've had you've had a lifetime of expertise that you would tell them as they're thinking through corporate innovation and and trying to excite people around that. Do you have any sort of broad scope lessons you would leave them with? You nearly made us cry in the last episode when I set you up like this, but I'm going to try it again. It's really key to identify and recognize and reward people for innovation. Uh, we, we tend to, especially in a startup environment, like there's somebody who's responsible for innovating in the company and there's a CTO and then, you know, that's their job. Well, that's not their job. Their job is, is to um, motivate everybody to participate in innovation and to lead that, not be it, in my opinion. And so what that requires to create that culture is accepting that people are going to come up with stuff, encouraging them to take, you know, 10% of their time or whatever to innovate, acknowledging that, looking at it, and then um, having there be no negative consequence to it. Wow, you shared this cool thing. Let's share it with other people. Hey, we ran it up the flagpole. Everybody looked at it. And, and you know, it's not quite right. But it's a good idea. It was a good idea. It was a good attempt. And that creating that environment will cause um, people to want to share their good ideas and it, and it will bring them forward. I think. I think my biggest takeaway is if every executive cared about people as much as evident that you do, I think corporate America would be a better place. So that's my that's my takeaway. Tom, thank you for your time and just for your honesty and kindness. I think I'm, I'm really excited for our listeners to hear this. I think your set of experience is so unique from a lot of our interviewees and I'm excited, excited to share it. Liz, I'm actually going to pivot to keep us on a, a sentimental note instead okay. of rapid fire questions. 
Tom, you mentioned something before we actually hit record about how training can be a strategic weapon for a company. I thought that was a really insightful comment. Would you mind saying that as we wrap up our time together? Sure. Uh, um, if you can upskill people, you can change the parameters of the business challenge before you. You know, if, if you take your employees and you skill them up in a particular area, you can mitigate the risk. You can have experts where you had uh, uh, novices before. You can change the parameters of the circumstance. And if you educate your customers, educate the channels to your customers, everything that you do raises the bar with those people, makes their lives better, streamlines everything. And so um, it's, it, it, it's a game changer. We often talk about hill-will skill, okay? And that is, if the problem is the hill, and the hill's just too big, and that's an obstacle, that's not something training can deal with, okay? That, that's, a, that's a business problem. If the problem is will, that's a management problem, right? That's a leadership issue. But if it's skill, yeah, that's, that's training. I feel like that's a teaser into some other podcast episode we're going to do. So we'll just, it, we'll just it, leave it everyone strategic. with that. That was good. Tom, thanks so much. Thank you. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Awesomings Podcast. And another quick thank you to Lee Rosevere and a few members from our community who provide the music that you hear in this show. Lastly, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Or even better, come on down to our space. Come be a part of our community and get plugged in. And let's start something awesome together. You guys rock. We'll see you next time.